Today we have a special guest. If you're a regular listener, you'll be familiar with Kelsey's gut journey and in particular her newfound love of acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. Elizabeth Cullen is the principal traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, acupuncturist and founder of the Tao Health and the woman behind pretty much curing Kelsey's IBS. She's here to help us scratch the surface of traditional Chinese medicine and how it can be used to cure gut ailments from acupuncture to dietary therapy. both acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine. So it's a philosophy overall and its its diagnostic basis is over the theory of the body as a whole. And the basic foundations where we can begin is with yin and yang and qi and blood. So with qi and blood, qi is the energy that runs in our body and qi leads the blood and blood leads the qi. So if there is a stagnation in the body or if there is not enough of the qi or blood, then we start to see imbalances start to begin in the body so where we need to begin with Chinese medicine is is there balance within the body and if not where is that imbalance coming from Mm -hmm. okay Mm. then let's talk a little bit about the constitution I think most people would have heard about that like what your constitution is no no okay but for us that haven't. Okay, yeah. So what? <laughs> Let's do a little deeper. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so from constitution perspective is where we start to look at the body overall of what your appearance is looking like and does that give us a bit of an opportunity or indicator to see what's going on within the body. So two things that we first check are the pulse and the tongue. So when a patient comes in for an appointment, we'll have a consultation and then after that we'll check the tongue. With the tongue, you're looking for those factors of is there a coat on the tongue is there a color within the tongue that is a red color or is it a little bit more pale or is a little bit more purple so where we start to talk about constitution is is there dampness in the body is the body more of an apple type of shape so with that side of things we start to talk about the spleen and we start to talk about the stomach when we start to see a really pale type of tongue then that can mean that there's blood vacuity and when we talk about vacuity that means there's not enough of it so as we were beginning to talk about those foundations is there balance in the body? Is there enough chi or is there too much chi? Is it getting stuck somewhere or with the blood perspective? Is there not enough blood? Is that causing amenorrhea? Or is there enough, is there too much heat? And that's a bright red tongue. So is there too much heat in the body and where is that coming from? So that's where we talk about the yin and the yang basic foundations as well. When there's too much yang within the body, there is too much heat. And when there is not enough yin, you also see heat. But if there's too much yin, then you might start to see these cool type of constitutions as well so as long as we start to look at the tongue we start to look at the pulse but we'll also look at the eyes as well and we'll start to look at the hair quality as well and as well as where on the face if there's breakouts then that's a really good indicator for us as well of what's going on within the body Okay, a lot of the time the reason why someone comes to Chinese medicine is because it's their last resort. Mm. Okay, so mm. you're coming to Chinese medicine and that there's been a big shift with that. So over the last few years because the awareness has come out a lot more and we're seeing more open-mindedness to alternative therapies. But if we were to get down to the basics of it, if you're looking at a 50-year-old male who's not going to be potentially 
if he's had chronic back pain for the last 10 years of his life and he's been to physios, he's been told the only other option is surgery, mm-hmm. then you're looking at someone who is coming here as a last option. So they're coming in with more of that open-mindedness. but And that's where we'll start to talk about the diagnostic framework with inflammation and blood and chi. But depending on your patient, it you more so, it depends on how much you're going to go into that type of education, which I think is really important because, as you know, Kelsey, it's that side of things of I want you to know why that point's going in a particular area. But why is it different in the way of diagnostic framework is because you're looking for that balance in the body. So, for example, the one lecturer told me in my first year of uni, everything you know about conventional medicine, drop it learn Chinese medicine and then build back up on it and start to apply what you know from conventional medicine and incorporate that. So say, for example, you need to have the understanding as a Chinese medicine practitioner of medicine. You need to be able to diagnose your medicine, but you then treat and then diagnose from a Chinese medicine perspective. So say, for example, when we start to talk about the spleen, Mm. We don't really give the screen, the spleen that much air time in, in conventional medicine. Mm. You hear sometimes, oh, my auntie had a ruptured spleen and yes. she got it taken out. What does that even mean? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And then oh, this spleen started, we keep talking about this spleen in first year. I was like, okay, this is this is quite important. And we started to learn about the spleen in the way of that from a Chinese medicine perspective is your metabolism. It is, involves your thyroid. It's your weight side of things. It controls your upper digestive tract. So that's where we start to talk about the more gut hormone interactions as well. And so everything that you eat is actually absorbed into the spleen and it's the spleen's role to transform that and transport it throughout the body. Mm. So it's a really important and vital organ for for us all to be looking after and you find in western medicine and in the western culture side of things is that it's not looked after very well because it doesn't really mm. get much of a priority so when we start to talk about symptoms like ibs as well then that's where we're starting to look into the spleen and go hang on this is where we need to start focusing mm. okay what about jing okay so we've got okay. jing we've got chi we've got blood and we've got the shen Right. <laughs> okay, so I'll just test you two on that. What have we got? Shen, Jing, Qi, and blood. blood. Beautiful. And if we want to add that, we, we can say Shu. So Shu is X-U-E and that means blood. So okay. just a right. bit, we're just chucking a bit of Mandarin there tonight as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so when we talk about these, we talk about Jing, which is our life essence. Right. Okay. If we don't have Jing, we do not have life. Okay, so our jing is our congenital foundation and it is from our parents. So that is our hereditary. So that's our genes. Okay, so that is passed on. And as a female, we have a seven-year cycle. So every seven years your jing starts to flourish around 21, 27 and then coming up to 35, so ideal time for babies, and then it starts to decline. So that's always something that you'll take into consideration with a patient with women's health issues mm-hmm. um, or also with fertility side of things too. But when we talk about Jing, that is then related to the kidney. 
Okay, so mm. that's why the kidney from a Chinese medicine perspective is very different to conventional. From conventional perspective, we start to talk about filtration rates and we talk about our blood pressure. But, yes, that is involved in Chinese medicine, but more so what we're looking for is, is there backache? Is there chronic fatigue? Is there amenorrhea? Is there infertility? And is there hair loss? And they're those type of symptoms that we're starting to look for because in Chinese medicine you're looking for the root of the cause rather than these little branches. So it's very common for a patient, for their new patient consultation, and they'll come in and say, I've got this going on, but then I've also got this going on and none of it connects from a conventional medicine Mm. perspective, right? And you go, I've got this odd symptom of this bloating after meals, but then I'm fine all the other times. Or, you know, it was something like I keep waking up at 3 a.m. And it's like, oh, that's very bizarre, isn't it? But when you start to look at it from a Chinese medicine clock, it starts to make sense. And that's where the pieces of the puzzle start to fill in. So when you're having that time with your patient and you're educating them there, their mind does begin to become more open because they start to see how their symptoms relate to it. Yeah, so that's where Jing comes in. Mm -hmm. And then when you talk about the Shen, that's where we start to talk about mental health. So that's our spirit. So if our spirit is not settled, then that's where anxiety can come up or that's where we start to talk about depression as well and that's linked in with the liver again. So, yeah, so patterns that come up a lot are, are the liver and the spleen from a Western perspective. It's that liver with that ongoing stress response that we have in our lives that never stops. And then from that spleen perspective, you're talking about all the raw foods that we put into the body, all the junk food that's put in and the fried foods, which is continuing to damage those two, which then you start to see that filtrate into the other aspects of the body as well. Right. Yeah. So talking another language, right? Yeah. Well, no joke, Kels was giving us a run-through not long ago um, about reading out her notes and her progress on hormones, et cetera. Mm. Hormones? Bloating. Probably not either or. <laughs> All the way. Yeah. And they relate, right? And yeah. she was talking to me and reading her notes and, and where she's up to and I said it sounds like another language because it's not something that we learn. No. And I like that you said that you need to forget your Western side and build back up after you know your, your tra- traditional. Chinese, yeah. Because it's so important to have both. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where integrative care works it works very well because you have you look at the blood tests, you look at what's been going on from that conventional medicine perspective and you have the respect for that and then you apply your Chinese medicine to it. Mm. So that's where acupuncture comes in from a great role because what acupuncture does is it uses little needles on different points of the body that we start to use to actually balance within and that side of things of a lot of the time acupuncture can be used when patients are taking other medications without interactions so not all but it's wonderful for patients who say for example are going through cancer because they're able to have that for pain relief and from a mental health perspective too Mm. so that's where they work beautifully together you're right yeah that's yeah. cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So it is. It's a it's a um, treatment that can be used for many mm. many things. So on acupuncture, what are the main treatment reasons, and what are the main points? Ooh, good question. <laughs> okay, so main points. So there's over 360 acupuncture points in wow. the body. Yeah. So each organ has a meridian, and that runs through the fascia of the body. Okay. And so the fascia is like the layer 
the sur- under surface. Yeah, yeah under surface. The muscle. Yeah, exactly. So it's really interesting. Surgeons use it as a marker. So for their location when they're starting to do surgery, but we use them obviously as our meridian. So with power with um, palpation, what you start to feel is you can feel the meridians of the body, and you need to go slightly deeper than the skin, but you start to notice where they actually are. And some of the acupuncture points, such as spleen six, which is a great gynecology point down near the um, ankle is you actually fall into it, into a divot. So the further research that's coming out now is showing us where those fascia is and and it's always been, well, what on earth is chi? Because we can say it's energy, but but what is that? You know, and I feel that with acupuncture, you don't actually know what chi is until you experience it. So mm. you know, the dull lake where mm. we say it's called duchi, and what that is is it arrives in the local area. So it means that the point's doing its job. Mm. So you know that sensation, that dull lake that you can feel. Yeah. That's that acupuncture sensation that it's the chi is coming to the area for its function. So my favorite acupuncture points. <laughs> I need about top 20. <laughs> but depending on what the reasons of why someone's coming in, they're completely different, the points that you'll use. So you can somewhat see it as a formula so or like ingredients for a recipe. So the recipe would be the outcome that you're looking for or the symptoms that you are treating. So where is the disorder in the pattern of the body? So you know how we started to talk about the spleen and we started to talk about the liver. Well, how are they relating and are they talking to each other and communicating with respect or is one of them dominating the other and causing imbalance and making this one unhappy really so say for example the liver when it's stressed say for example ibs right Mm -hmm. so when the liver is stressed and the body is in the central nervous system fight or flight it's then affecting the spleen and then we're getting that effect on the gut with diarrhea or loose stools also, you know, et cetera, say, for example, with constipation. So that side of things there is that if you start to, to look at treating through the liver, so, again, you'd be putting liver points into the body as well as spleen and stomach points to balance. But my favourite point out of all is yin tang, which is the point in between the eyebrows. So that's a very calming point. So sometimes at lunchtime, if I need to have a quick break, I'll just put in a few little points and just reset for the afternoon. And walk and, around. Oh, no. <laughs> You know what she said the other day when I was battling? She's like, Kelsey, did I take the ones out of like my ribs? And I was like, yes, Liz, I think I would know if I could. Because it's your body scan. Because you have have about 30 in. Yeah, but I would feel paralyzed like getting up. Like, Mm, I don't dare like would move oh no oh no oh but but in saying that like there's points like say for example do my 20 which is that point at the top of the head that you oh, know that, that point hurts. there yeah and you know how and then overall it creates a calming sensation afterwards mm-hmm. but that point there because that is rose gold that needle sometimes on blonde hair i've really got to be checking around there because there's so many points you know yes. you know there's there's over 25 to 30 yeah. points that you're putting into someone so yeah. Have you ever had anyone leave? <laughs> that. Oh yeah, you can ask me that. Yeah, yeah, I had someone walking out the um walking out the clinic and I, and I saw the little unicorn oh, point, but it's at the top of the head. You know, if there's only bone, so you make sure that you. <laughs> Right, you know, no worry. Yeah. No, no worries. Oh god, no, I always yeah. feel like so scared about like like I'd be. I don't know, like I'd move and it would hurt. And when you think about it, they don't actually go that deep in and they're one-eighth the size of a hypodermic needle. Yeah. So you make sure you do the scan and you make sure that they've all taken out the ones that you've written in, you make sure that they're out. But, yeah, it, it, it does happen. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
moving on from that, what are some common symptoms that people do come in for? Yeah, so uh, there it ranges. It ranges. Some days you have some mysterious and magical symptoms that come in that doctors can't work out what's going really? on. Yeah. So and they're the ones where you go, okay. Yes. What's the imbalance underneath? What's going on in that body? What is that body telling us? And what are we seeing from that tongue perspective too? So is there too much yang? Mm -hmm. Is there too much inflammation and heat within the body? Or is it from a place where is the chi stuck and it can't move? Is that why there's the pain? So a lot of common symptoms that come in are digestive issues, mental health issues, musculoskeletal, and then also women's health, so fertility and amenorrhea and polycystic ovary syndrome, endometriosis, mm-hmm. and menstrual issues overall, so holding that umbrella mm-hmm. there. So, yeah. All right, so let's switch gears because we're here to talk about gut health and as many of our listeners know, they have been listening to me bang on about <laughs> my digestion issues and how I'm touch wood pretty much cured since seeing Liz. How can you tell if a patient is experienced di- experiencing digestion issues or IBS? Like obviously they would come and tell you, but are there physical signs that you pick up on or, you know, acupuncture spots that hurt or feel different? Like what are you looking for? Yeah, of course, of course. So funnily enough, a lot of people come in for another reason, but in the first consultation you're going through every aspect of one person's overall lifestyle and their history. So they may be coming in for a sore shoulder, but then they say, you know what, I, I say, oh, you know, your bowel movement's regular because obviously we talk about stools a lot here. Um, <laughs> so I just love chatting about bowel movements. Um, so one of those things of going, oh, is your bowel movement's regular? Yeah, I go about two times a week. And you go, oh, golly, okay, we've got some work to do here because that's not normal. It's just like when period pain is not normal when it's mm-hmm. when you're getting it every month, right? So it's one of those things where we'd start to say, okay, what are we looking for here? And that's when we start to talk about what does your stools look like? So is there undigested food in the stool other than corn? Yeah. Um, so, But that's where we're starting to look there as a sign of getting the patients and educating you to look at your own stools, to look at your poo, check out what's going on. Is there loose stools most days of the week or are you more constipated? And then that's when we start to talk about bloating. So with a dietary, Chinese dietary advice and therapy, that's where we start to look into what type of foods are you eating and is that aggravating the body or making it better? So say, for example, someone may say, I'm going to beautiful raw vegan diet but I have these chronic digestion issues and that unfortunately is not the right pattern for that person or not the right diet for them to be eating for the pattern that they have so that's where you really want to be mindful of going okay let's start to say what are you fueling your body with and treating that person as an individual and then going from there. So, yes, there is acupuncture points, Kelsey, that Mm. you can start to notice. So the spleen channel and the stomach channel are both of the earth elements. So if we start to talk about the spleen and the stomach a little bit more here, we talk about the earth element overall. The spleen is the yin aspect and its best mate is the stomach. So if the stomach's not in balance, then the spleen won't be in balance. But the spleen's role is the upper digestive tract. So we start to talk about the motility. We start to talk about the absorption of food. And is that being built into chi and blood that is then put around the body? So then that's travelling around the body to support the body's functions of energy for menstrual cycles and fluid metabolism. So you're starting to travel all the way up the spleen meridian 
in the body to see if there's any points that are sensitive. So the point underneath the knee can feel really sensitive mm. sometimes, especially just before the period, which is quite interesting. But um, that's what you're looking for from there. Someone with a spleen chi deficiency, so not enough spleen energy, you'll see bruising. So that's something that you start to look for with someone who who gets up on the bed and you go, do you bruise quite often? And they'll say, yeah, and I'm really tired and I'm so bloated and I'm really gassy. And you go, oh, that's the spleen. That's mm-hmm. the, what's going on with the spleen there. So that's that side of things where you start to check out what's the body telling you and what are these funny symptoms that are coming up. So say, for example, if you've got a patient who says, I crave sugar all the time and I'm a warrior and I'm an overthinker and I just... It's doing my head in with this bloating. And that's, again, where you're looking at that spleen's role there. So the stomach, on the other hand, is more so if you start to notice that there's a lot of heat in the tongue or there's ulcers or there's blood from the gums, then that's stomach heat. So chilli is great for a lot of people, but unfortunately for a lot of others it's not. So that's where there's too much heat in the body and that's where you want to balance that back down. So then you'd be coming out into the stomach channel, which is on the outer side of the leg. So there is points overall that you'll start to feel and sometimes they may bruise a little bit because they're if that pattern of imbalance and that will show us, okay, we've got things moving. So, yeah, the bruises don't hurt. It's just that they, they come up mm. as a bit of a response with the body with the acupuncture needles. So, mm. Do they, if they start easing over time, the bruising, does that mean that it's, it's working? Yeah. yeah, and you'll start to notice that with the bowel movements and the bloating as well. Yeah, so the bowel movement-wise, look, usually after one or two acupuncture sessions, you'll start to notice a little bit more regularity, regularity, excuse me, um, where you're starting to encourage that motility. So as we talk about the upper digestive tract with the spleen, we're talking about the lower digestive tract with the stomach. So that's the rottening and ripening and passing that on to the reservoir of the intestines so that it can make its way out. So that side of things of less urgency, better formed stools, and then also a bit more ease of actually allowing that stool to pass. Mm. So that comes with, that begins that moment where you open the mouth and that's the opening of our, obviously, of our digestive tract all the way downwards. And how are we eating? Are we eating mindfully? Are we taking it slow? Are we thinking of the food that we're putting into our body as is this a medicine that is going to fuel me and is this going to improve my health overall? And then we come into the thermal property of foods. <laughs> raw foods often a no-no yeah a lot yeah. of a lot of the digestive issues mm. I'm going to call it home care and lifestyle changes that you set I guess as homework for patients yeah is about following the dietary Chinese dietary theory yeah, yeah. so can you talk to us a little bit about that and so for example I ha- I have to avoid chili raw or cold food and drinks dairy and kind of follow more ayurvedic warming foods and spices and that kind of thing mm. does that kind of in, um go for like everybody most no. people overall Overall, warming foods is beneficial for everyone. So that side of things of soft foods in the way of we want to be at a balance. So we want to be sitting at that 36.5 degrees Celsius or more so that place of homeostasis within the body. So we don't want too many extremes, especially if your body is already in a place of imbalance and 
you're wanting to get things and your symptoms fixed up so that you're really functioning at your best is that we bring these foods in that are not going to cause stress on the body. So say, for example, if you already had a weak spleen and then you started to put these raw foods in, a lot of the time you may find that you'll have urgent diarrhea afterwards because the spleen doesn't have the capability to absorb and digest and then transform and transport with the chi and blood throughout the body so you're still really tired. Mm. So it's that side of things of we need to be really kind to our spleens and we need to be doing things like slow cooking. We need to be roasting our vegetables. We need to be having blanched vegetables. We need to be avoiding those foods that are going to cause dampness within the body. And when we start to talk about dampness, that's weight gain, that's polycystic ovaries, that's cystic acne, that's more so that damp type of eczema or psoriasis. And when we start to talk about the thyroid too, we need to be mindful that we're eating foods that are not going to be causing dampness, which includes dairy and fried foods and those really, really cold foods as well as sugar. So really that's where I'd like to get to a point with a patient that I recommend an 80 to 20% type of rule. So it's that side of things of the relationship of food is so important that we're enjoying each meal. There's that social ritual to it too. And it needs to be doable because this isn't a diet. It's more so a lifestyle change to carry throughout your life. So it is that side of things of looking at a food and saying, okay, this is better off for me if it is at room temperature because this is going to make me feel better overall. And those symptoms of digestive symptoms such as, you know, the bloating or more so the gassiness or just the exhaustion, you do start to notice that they decrease over a period of time. So with that 80 to 20% rule, it's that 80% of those cooked beautiful foods. But then the 20% rule can be your really good fats like avocado and then things like your baby spinach. So, and then, you know, if you wanted to put some onion in there, depending on the person, Mm. then that could work as well. So, yeah. And then when we start to talk about the chili, that's where we start to talk about the thermal properties of the food. So are they yin foods? So a yin food, say, for example, is watermelon and spearmint tea, which would be great for a menopausal woman or someone with hot flushes. Well, nice words. Um, yeah, so that's that side of things. But if you're or someone who's got that really angry eczema or someone who's got that exposed, explosive type of diarrhea, then you don't want too much heat into the body. Scary. So, yeah, so that's that side of things there. But when you're talking about chili, then that's that really hot thermal property. And we don't want to be adding too much yang into someone who, say, for example, has amenorrhea or, say, for someone who has that adrenal exhaustion because they're already running on their fight or flight. So they've got that inner burner with that inflammation occurring Mm. you create nourishment through being an imbalance Mm. yeah so it's it's becoming aware within the body of is there places that there is a slight imbalance and then using food to treat that so on that what are the best foods for building that and strengthening chi and blood yeah slow cooked food bone broth Mm-hmm. kidney foods such as goji berries walnuts okay so and then you're looking at foods more so when we speak about the spleen is you're talking about again those slow foods things like oats are going to really help there too when you're talking about lubricating the intestines we're talking about spinach and honey so all those foods that are going to be more so from the garden or a really good protein such as salmon and then you slow grass-fed beef so clean foods but then when we put them all together then we're putting them with spices like turmeric but using your slow cooker because your slow cooker is your best mate 
So that's that type of food that will help you and support you from day to day. It's texture as well. It's the texture. And, again, it comes back to that thermal property. Mm-hmm. So it's not about when you go, oh, it's out of the fridge. It That is an issue, but really it's more about how did you cook it or how did you prepare that food. So if it was completely raw, then you're not going to be able to get the full absorption from it, mm-hmm. in particular those type of foods where, say, for example, broccolini, it's easier for the body to slightly blanch it and then eat it rather than having that raw, which, you know, we, that would upset a lot of people's tummy. Yeah. So, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Imagine how I feel. <laughs> I know. I know half of this stuff. I know. Does it just seem like a minefield? Yeah, it feels like we're never going to dig at the surface. <laughs> you have to go back and, like, listen to it and then pick out the points that you yeah. like or relate to you and Google it. Yeah. Or send us an email and we'll ask Liz if she can answer it for you. Yeah. Yeah. So on one of the my homework sheets, right. yeah. it said that avoid drinking two cups, especially if it's chilled of liquid or even if it was like tea, while you're having a meal because it can swamp the stomach and impair digestion. I have always been of the, the belief, well, not the belief, but I've always drank a lot of water while I'm eating because I thought that it would help my digestion in terms of, I don't know, like Terrible. pushing things down, lubricating all the food. Terrible. And then, <laughs> and then I end up being like super bloated. So bloated, yeah. Um, so, can, so, yeah, can you tell us Terrible a little bit about why that's wrong? Because I think yeah. a lot of people would believe. So, would you yeah, well, yeah. yeah, they say you, or even. Have a big glass before food. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the theory. So that's fine. Have a big glass of water before food about 20 minutes before so you're hydrated and you know that you're not actually dehydrated rather than hungry Hungry. but we'll jump into chilled water first not your friend so you know we have chilled water thinking oh it's going to speed up my metabolism it's going to make me feel enlivened but when we were over in China working in the hospitals Everywhere, you know, the coolers that we have here, Mm -hmm. they've all got hot water. And do you notice overall the Chinese community always drink hot water? Because that is what's going to support your metabolism because that's for your spleen. Okay, so it's a warming foods. And, again, we're keeping you at that temperature regulation rather than cool. So, really, that side of things with having the um, the water in food, with food, sorry, um, is more so when we jump back to conventional medicine because your stomach is an amazing organ that breaks down food with its own acid. Mm. So why would we want to dilute that? Uh, dilute. See, yeah. So, so chilled dilute. Well, no, 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 just water, water oh, overall. Sorry. Any? Oh no, no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's, I told you it's a lot. It's a lot. But yeah. um, yeah. So we don't want to break down that stomach acid. So we want to be allow the juices, the gastric juices, to do their role without diluting them. It'd be like you know a terrible cottage cordial that's all dilute. Mm-hmm. You're not effective. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it from that perspective that we want those gastric juices to be really strong so that they can break down the food by themselves. Mm. So we're hindering yeah. our digestion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. But, again, have that glass of water before room temperature mm. um, and no ice, please, but um, mm-hmm. doing that about half hour before but not doing it about two minutes before you're about to guzzle down a meal. Which, again, we don't want to guzzle either. We want to be eating mindfully and thinking. And there's two ways that I recommend doing that, either chew for each tooth or the other side of things is looking at your meal and saying, okay, where did that 
sweet potato come from? And where was it grown? How did it grow? And then it got onto the car or the truck and then it went to the market and then I got it from my local grocer. So say, for example, that's quite a long process and you're still chewing. So you'll notice that by chewing that food, it's slower and then you won't be as bloated either. So, yeah. Mm, that's cool. Mm. Yeah. Um, what... Becoming one of our favorite questions. <laughs> what are your thoughts on fasting? I think there's a few things that come to play with fasting. So, fasting for a female is very different to fasting for a male. So, fasting, most of the research is done with males on intermittent fasting rather than females. Right. But from that caveman approach, we can look at fasting in the way of when our ancestors way back. They weren't given food at a certain time every day. So someone who has insulin resistance, this can work quite well because it brings the body into a place of, oh, when is my next meal going to be? And that's where that fasting perspective can come from. But with someone who hormonally is not in balance, then that is where we need to be really careful with, A, how much that patient is eating, but also what they're eating too. Because a lot of the time what can happen with fasting is that people don't eat enough in that certain amount of time Mm. or they're having a coffee on an empty stomach and with that then you're causing that stress into the body. So if you're a person who already is slightly anxious, on edge, or you are usually a bit adrenally just a bit tired, then it's not the best thing for you. But the rule of thumb is if you're going to fast, then do it in a way that it suits your body. So if you're a breakfast person, make sure you're having your brekkie and you can do it at night time. But a really soft way that I recommend with fasting is just eating with A, the season and also with the day and night. So when the sun rises and when the sun falls, making sure it's about an eight hour window in which you're eating and then making sure you're getting enough food in that time. Because I think that's the trap that we fall into is that we're not eating enough. So you've got to be quite planned, I think. And there's a great app. Have you heard of this? Oh, we've spoken about the Zero Fasting app. Right. It's a great app. So you can either do the 16 to 8 hours or you can do the 12 to 8. And I find that keeps you really on the ball. But you really do need to plan it in that time. So, yeah. Does that answer the question? And eat. Eat enough. Enough. in that Bold, italic, underline, (laughs) eat enough. Because otherwise it can go the other way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's accidental that that you don't eat enough sometimes when you're fasting or if you're fasting in the morning and doing intermittent fasting and you eat your lunch and then you eat your dinner, well, you're full from those meals but you haven't eaten enough for the whole day. And that's not the idea of it at all. No, not at all. And that's I think that's that other side of things that we need to be really mindful of who's doing it Mm. because if there is a history of eating disorders there too, we need to be mindful of using that with particular patients because it's that side of things of are they eating enough and are you using it for the reasons of what it was designed for because sometimes someone will say I'm doing intermittent fasting but you look at their meals and you go you had had a salad like come on we're going to be fueling that body and making sure that chi and blood and yin and yang are being restored so I think overall it's wonderful it just needs to be made I think a lot of the time you need the guidance of a health practitioner to do it or to begin with it Mm. and then um and then once you've got those tools and yeah I think I think it's wonderful and for cognitive function it's unreal Mm. I find that it makes me more constipated. Yeah. 
So yeah. we were like, because I have a diary and I was tracking like my stool. And my top star patient. <laughs> yeah. And I would find like on the Yeah, she's a great writer. Yeah. I love it. I'm just so excited to see these food diaries each week. It's wonderful. Yeah. If you're wondering, she's a writer. Yeah. <laughs> I was finding that the days that I, because I've tried to stop fasting, if I like accidentally fasted, um, that I wouldn't either go to the bathroom that day or it wouldn't be until nighttime, which is so weird for me because that would be like the next time that I ate. Yeah. Whereas now when I eat breakfast or at least have a bone broth or something, then I'm then I'm kind of now super regular in the morning before lunch. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Whereas when I fast, sometimes I don't go at all or I'll go after dinner, which is super late. Like that's complete mm. end of the spectrum for me. Exactly. And and it's not really clockwork, is it? No. Really. And also it's that other side of things that we need to consider with eating like a king at breakfast or whenever you're bre- – so break when we say breakfast – whenever you're breaking your fast. So eating like a king at breakfast and then eating like a middle class at lunch and then eating like a pauper at dinner. So whereas a lot of the time with fasting, if it's not prepared, then it's one of those things where fast has been broken with something throughout the day that that we were able to find that was convenient with work and then the last meal is the biggest meal and that's, yeah, and, you know, coming home, you go, I'm starving, I'm tired, I'm stressed, so you're eating on stress, you're eating too late and then you're going to bed. Comfort, yeah. And then you have a glass of wine and you're like, fuck. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay, so what would be an ideal day on a plate for someone with common digestive issues? Okay. This is a fun question. (laughs) Okay, um, I think let's talk about, number one, warming foods, yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, male or female? Female, always. Yeah. Always female, yeah, okay, great. Um, so let's do a bit of a um, oats for breakfast. Okay. okay, so let's get things moving with some oats. Let's use either a sheep's yogurt, so really good fat yogurt, or either you could use coconut yogurt if you wanted to, but if dairy's okay, then we could use a sheep's yogurt instead of a cow's milk yogurt, a little bit low stress, more low stress for the body. And then we can put in some beautiful, some pear and some blueberries, mm. or depending on, again, eating seasonally, it's really important with Chinese medicine, making sure you're eating for the season. So in autumn and in winter, I was recommending patients always get those pears in, get those pears in because they're really good for your lungs. So that side of things for their respiratory perspective, that's what we were using there. But now coming into spring and coming into that time of blueberries and raspberries, um, we pop a little bit of cinnamon on that. And then other than that, it could be some eggs and some good fats with some avocados and some baby spinach and some mushies. Um, if you do want to have a coffee in the morning, have the coffee. And then you, if, um, but then you're doing that with your before at the same time as eating somewhat mm, but yes. ideally afterwards recess right. and then maybe a bone broth and a boiled egg depending on the person and then coming into lunch would be my favorite the slow cooker and mm-hmm. then that's who we're coming into depending on where the female is in her cycle and if she eats red meat then i would recommend red meat as slow cooker just before a period with some beautiful quinoa and so we've got some veggies in there mm. as well and then mixing that if, if you haven't had avocado in the morning have some avocado there with some baby spinach and then at dinner time beautiful piece of salmon yeah and some veggies that's an 
ideal yeah. day. Yeah. And I do, I do find, yes, carbs, again, it depends on the individual, of course, but mm. that side of things of making that last meal lighter and that middle meal at lunchtime or whenever you're going to have that as your, as your largest meal, especially because you need that energy throughout the day, whereas at nighttime as we're coming to rest, we're coming into a more of a yin state, whereas yang, which is energy, so we need our energy throughout our day to have, and yang isn't the enemy, yang is that side of things of, yes, we in the Western world are a lot more yang and we're running, running, running where we need that yin and that quiet time and that's where yin yoga comes in But and those rest times of scheduling downtime in. But it is that side of things of throughout your yang day you need to be fueled. What are you doing to fuel yourself and and where are you getting those good foods in? It's like recharging the batteries, right? And then at night time that's where more so you can come into a smaller meal. How can we or can someone monitor their digestion? ourselves yourselves yeah okay um depending on what you're eating yeah Mm. so I always think it's good to check in with yourself and write a little food diary every now and then Mm -hmm. and just go am I on top of things or am I eating am I feeling like I'm eating well and after I eat do I feel good with the food I'm putting in? Do I feel guilty? So that side of things, of how is your relationship with your food? So it's that side of things of are you feeling like you plan your food? Are you eating consciously? So I think as much as we choose our foods, it's very important how aware we are when we're actually putting them in our body. Are we sitting down? Are we taking the time having a little lunch break? Have we got that capability of going outside and sitting in the sun? So those side of things of making sure that you're making those ethical choices too. So if you can, using grass-fed beef or... Or if from an economic perspective you're like, oh, organic chicken is a little bit more expensive, going for thigh cuts and then putting them in the slow cooker and things like that. So I think that's important. I think not eating stressed is really, really important. So, again, it's not rushing your meals and it's taking the time and giving that priority because, again, eating is a ritual. It should be done and it should be enjoyed. So it's that side of things of it doesn't need to be with someone else if you don't want it to be, but at the same time it needs to be something that you're sitting down and you're not on your phone and you're not flicking through. It's that side of things if you're looking at that meal and you're thanking those things that are on the plate and how they're going to fuel you. I think it's important to look at your stools. So really, really important. Check out your poo. See what it's doing. <laughs> yeah, so it's not that side of things of going, oh, I can I can smell something different or, you know, I can see a lot of undigested food in the stool. That's a bit weird, but I'm just going to flush it and just pretend it didn't happen. So that side of things, gassiness, it is very normal just before your period with the levels of progesterone that bloating does get worse and so does gassiness. So, again, just tracking that, which if you've got an app, this is where track all the symptoms through the month. I think that's the best thing. If you're already into that, that pattern of tracking your period why don't you track your digestion symptoms as well mm. so yeah and I think it's really important as well as being mindful of where you are in your menstrual cycle because that is going to somewhat lead you to sugary foods in that second half of the cycle and again it's that relationship of going is that food going to fuel me and if not then maybe I can make more of a responsive choice rather than a reactive choice of when I'm when I'm stressed or when I'm feeling premenstrual yeah yeah To wrap it up, what can we do at home by making our gut happy? What makes a happy gut? Okay, so I think it's really important to know that 90% of serotonin, so our happy drug, 
is in our gut. Mm. So a happy mind is a happy gut and a happy gut is usually a happy mind as well. We just need to be mindful, not all the time, but we need to be really mindful of the vagus nerve, which is from our head down to our, well, from our brain, sorry, from our head, (laughs) Um, from our brain down to our gut. So I think it's that side of things of we need to be mindful of how stressed the body is. So with that happy gut side of things is are you meditating? Okay, so that's a really good one. And it's really interesting. Monks used to stimulate their vagus nerve by humming. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, sometimes people do it now with gargling as well. Right. Yeah, yeah. if you've got a few patients that do that, which I think is pretty cool. For how long? Um, I think it's for about two to three minutes. Wow. You should be gargling anyway. You should be gargling anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think oh. I think a probiotic is oh. as important as a multivitamin for the certain person. Most people, I think, should be on a probiotic. That's my particular opinion on it. I think it's really important that you're eating the colours of the rainbow and you're having that diversity because, again, a happy gut is going to then help the rest of the body. And now we know how important the spleen is mm-hmm. of how is that the food being transported and how are we absorbing it and then it's been travelling, it's travelling throughout the body through chi and blood, which, again, are our two major foundations within the body. And if they're not working properly, then we're going to see those imbalances occur. I think that side of things with good fences make good neighbours as well. So when we talk about the gut microbiome, again, we want to be making sure that we're building that really nice and strong so that our body is capable with our immune system to be resilient Mm -hmm. so yeah i think they're important i I think kombucha is great on private probiotics why should we not just go get one from like the local chemist that's in the in like the drop the not in the fridge refrigerated area well this is a bit of a fun fact Mm -hmm. that they die poor little things so they um if they're ones off the ones off the counter they um or the shelf they 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 don't fluctuate very well with the air conditioning. So, um, yeah, right. so they do die. So it might say 10 billion of lactobacillus or whatever it may be. And you go, oh, well, how many are you actually getting out of that? So if we're going to make the effort to actually have a probiotic, I think it's important that either it is prescribed by your health professional because there is particular strains they're not all the same either probiotics there's different ones there's different microbiomes and sorry there's different um there's different probiotic strains that are going to support your gut so it and that depends on each person so say for example the probiotic that i put or prescribe a patient who's pregnant is going to be very different to a probiotic that I'd be prescribing for a female in her 20s so, mm. who's not pregnant. So, yeah. That's cool. Thank you for overwhelming my senses. No worries. When are you coming for your first pin? I'm so excited. Yeah. Have me whenever. Yeah. You're most welcome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we should have done it. Put a few little points in us all. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure we're going to have a lot more questions and um, if anyone else has questions, email us and, yeah, I'm sure we'll have you on again, Lucy, yeah, of there's course. just so much to say. Yeah, of course. Please. Thank you so much, ladies, for having me. Thank you for coming on. so fun.